Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Greg Miller. I'm senior editor with Freight Waves and American Shipper. Uh, and I am speaking with Patrick Berglund, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Zaneta, uh, speaking to us all the way from Norway. Uh, Patrick, uh, thanks for joining us. Great to speak with you. Hey, great to be on today, Greg. Appreciate the chance to, to join you. Yeah, so today, um, uh, Patrick and I are going to be speaking about ocean freight rates, uh, both of the sort of the crazy high spot short-term rates that get all the headlines, uh, and also uh, the long-term annual contract rates that are uh, more beneath the radar, but are very important, uh, and there's a lot going on there. Uh, but before we do that, Patrick, first, uh, tell us a little bit about Zeneta and what it does. Yeah, I appreciate that. So so think about Zeneta as a, as a big pool of BCOs, shippers, that is feeding their contract data into the platform. Zeneta as a company aggregate this data in order to provide market visibility to all participants. We work with the carriers, we work with the forwarders, and the, the, the BCOs. The BCO community represents more than $20 billion worth of ocean freight procurement. And, and really, that's the data that we lean in on in, in order to have the conversation that we, we're having today. Okay, so let's start on the, the short-term side of the market. Um, uh, there are no shortage of, of spot indexes out there that you can look at. Uh, Zeneda has one. Uh, there's the Freitos Baltic Daily Index. Uh, there's S&P Global Platts. Uh, Drury has a weekly index that has been around for years. There's the SCFI, the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index. Uh, and the interesting thing about this is if you want to know how much it costs uh, to ship cargo spot from A to B, and you look at one of these indexes, uh, they all have different numbers. Uh, and, you know, I just checked yesterday uh, Trans-Pacific rates, uh, you know, at the various indexes. And uh, one of them was at 15200 per FU. One was at 10,600, one was at 9,500, and one one was at 8,600, and that's Asia West Coast. Um, So my first question to you would be, when you look at these short-term indexes, why are these numbers so different? That's a a great question. Historically, I I don't think the difference would have been so uh, substantial as we're seeing now, because what has happened since COVID, basically, is that the market has transitioned from a, a buyer's market to a seller's market. And in a seller's market, the sellers have far more flexibility to impose extra costs, additional costs to the customer side, which we all have seen, right? And we're all well aware of there's no secrecy in that. But what it also means is that they all do it slightly differently, right? So between uh, between the different suppliers, they will have different pricing structures and different behavior, right? And... As a company, what we decided to do is that we wanted to take what we consider to be the base CYCY cost components, so container yard to container yard, and then we wanted to provide visibility on what we call the priority shipment fees. And the reason why we chose that strategy is that we see that the priority shipment fees are not applied to all shipment. So let's say the index is at the $9,000, then depending on the origin right, port of loadings, you will have priority shipment fees spanning from $1,000 to $8,000. And they're not applied on every single shipment. Hence, instead of applying that data on the index, we've said, here's the index movement, and here's the priority shipment fees on top, right? That way, we believe we provide maximum visibility to our customer base and maximum relevant visibility on how the market actually works. But 
this is all up for debate. And I think what you're also sort of outlining is is an industry that has, you know, over the last 10 years gotten way more transparent than it was back in the days. And, and that means that you will have more players trying to provide some level of visibility. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see what works best and uh, what doesn't. Okay, so uh, on the short-term rates themselves, um, you know, there's a lot of focus on this right now. What, what's going to happen with the spot market? And, you know, what I've seen in the Trans-Pacific, broadly speaking, is that uh, you had this peak last September, October, uh, then it came down, then it came back a bit, and then it sort of plateaued at a very high level that's way, way above where we were in the first half of 2021. So looking at your short-term, short-term numbers, Asia West Coast, Asia East Coast, you know, where do you see uh, these rates uh, right now? And I know this is speculative, but do you have any thoughts on where they could go this year? So at the moment, we're looking at, if we go um, far as main ports into U.S. West Coast, as, as an example, we're looking at rates that on average on the short-term market, almost as much as 10,000 U.S. dollars right below. But then, as I mentioned, you have these priority shipments fees ranging from about $1,400 at the moment to 7,500 U.S. dollars per FEU. And when, when you ask the question about whether we think it's going to go up, down, or flatten. I would say there's little, there's few dynamics in the market currently creating a downward pressure on rates, right? So it's still uh, uh, supply chain bottlenecks uh, around the world, and there is a shortage of supply uh, versus demand to some extent. Even though it's better now than it used to be, um, there's, there's simply too many inefficiencies in the current system. So I would say it's more likely that it plateaus than it is to drop. Now, if I ask around with, with, within the carrier community, within the forwarding community and, and the shipper side, there is expectations as well that the market should soften as we go towards the end of this year, maybe beginning of the year. But there's even some people who claim that the market might see a drop off simply because it's at such an elevated level that, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if, if things softens a bit that they can go fast downwards. But my personal opinion is that we've reached a level where hopefully it won't continue to rise because it, it really creates problems for a lot of uh, cargo owners. Um, but the carriers and the three alliances, they, they will fight back to avoid uh, a market trending too much down. Yeah, so let's move on to the long-term market because, as I said before, the, the sort of the short-term uh, spot information business is a crowded field. But I think in the long-term uh, contract market, uh, Zanetta really has sort of a unique visibility here. Um, and before we get to the numbers themselves, I want to talk a little bit about timing. Um, you know, usually the Trans-Pacific uh, annual contracts are negotiated at the same time of year, say late winter, spring to May. Uh, on the on the latest uh, mayor's conference call, uh, Soren Skoo said that uh, seasonality has now completely out the window. Uh, basically, what's happened is uh, the uh, long term, a lot of the long term contract customers they have have come to them and said, "We need more volume," uh, and so this basically leads to a new contract that's completely off schedule. Um, from your perspective, uh, what are you seeing in your data before we get to numbers, just purely on timing? There is a significant difference in the behavior of the European carriers and the Asian carriers. There is a lot more appetite on the European carrier side to go multi-year 
versus what we see from the Asian players, right? And this is just broadly bucketing them. I'm saying there's also, of course, exceptions to this. But Maersk has been incredibly vocal about their strategy of, of, uh, of you know, vertical integ integration and multi-year deals, right? And uh, there is a very good fit for a lot of the BCOs that is, let's say, desperate to secure capacity versus desperate to optimize spend. And with that, I mean, if you have high margin commodities, high, high margin products, keeping your supply chains intact, making sure the product flows is far more important than optimizing for the lowest possible spend, right? And that's a good fit to the strategy of some of these carriers. And I know for a fact that several of our BCOs have moved forward their uh, RFQs to, to wrap them up earlier in an attempt to secure this capacity they need, right? So definitely agree that there is, uh, there, there, that's a pattern and we can see that behavior in the market. That being said, uh, we, we do see year-round tenders, right? It's only a matter of volume. And, and to be frank, Q1 and Q2 are by far the most heavy sort of tender seasons. But there's still companies doing it completely off-cycle in Q3 and Q4, even though it's fewer. Now, you just mentioned multi-year contracts, and this has come up a lot. Uh, and, you know, I'll talk about Maersk again. Um, on previous calls last year, they, they emphasized that they were moving to multi-year contracts. And they basically were talking last year about, you know, up to three years with the third year and perhaps the second year adjustable based upon some sort of index. Um, you know, we're speaking right now just to date this conversation on February 10th. And yesterday, Maersk had their fourth quarter call, and there was a different tone then. Uh, uh, Vincent Clerk, uh, you know, head of Ocean, you know, said that they had some two-year contracts that were fixed, but the more majority of their uh, multi-year contracts were three to 10 years, uh, and they were adjustable um, based upon an index. And they actually, this was interesting, they said they were using mostly the CTS, uh, which is uh, less volatile than indices like the SCFI. So, you know, just to focus on the multi-year for a second and your data, what are you seeing uh, on, uh, you know, the specific multi-year contracts and how they're being structured? Uh, and this also goes back to the whole short-term index thing we were talking about before, because, you know, if you're going 10 years, you need an index, short-term index. Okay, this is this is a big topic, right? We, we need to sort of break it down to a few different components. So so let me start off by, by saying that... Um, in a seller's market, the seller de decides the terms to a, to a large degree, as I as I mentioned. Um, it says a lot when the customer side needs to agree to an index that is built up by the sellers themselves. Think about that for a second. I mean, the, the one supplying the data to CTS is the shipping lines, right? That in itself is, is a great worry for a lot of our customers. I know that, right? But what other option do you have if it's a massive seller's market and your key concern is not the price point, right? That's one side. Then on the multi-year side, yes, we see multi-year deals. We see multi-year fixed rates. We see multi-year um, contracts. Let's say somebody agrees that over the next five years, we're going to work together. That is not the same as saying that the rates won't change on an annual, quarterly, six-month, whatever basis they agree, right? And then there's different reference points, as you point out, for that uh, adjustment, whether it's, you know, a 4PL running an RFQ on behalf of the BCO to Maersk 
flagging these index regulated deals with CTS, right? Within the different carriers, we also know for a fact that they have been willing to use many different sources in order to strike these deals, whether it's uh, SCFI, CTS, or the Zanetta data, right? At the end of the day, in this market, the sellers set a lot of the terms and a lot of the BCOs, depending on their needs and requirements, will, will agree and adhere to the most. What remains to be seen, and I think this is interesting, especially with the history of this industry, is whether if the market falls off a cliff at some point and goes down, not to the pre-pandemic levels, but you know, down to half of where it is now or even down to the, you know, 30, 40% of, of where we're sitting today, it's it remains to be seen how loyal the buyer side will be towards the seller. Because historically, we know that's always been one of the key challenges in this industry. And the mechanisms in play that you thought, think would safeguard the, the commitment from both sides are not existing in our industry. When it comes to living, uh, adhering and delivering on the MQCs, the carriers are not, from an operational point of view, rigged so that they can really penalize and follow up on, 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 on that. So, you know, at some point the tables will turn and I, I would be lying if I couldn't say that, you know, we have plenty of BCOs that are now just holding their breath and, and waiting to give it back to the carriers when, when the, uh, the market turns. And I, I think that's an unfortunate dynamic, but it is an existing dynamic. So let's see how these multi-year agreements play out when you come to year two, three, and four. It's going to be super interesting. Oh, let, let's come back to 2022 for a second, though. Um, uh, you know, what a lot of people want to know is, um, you know, I understand there's not one long-term annual rate. There's different levels. But, you know, to simplify things, you know, people want to know, you know, what's the average rate and, and how much has it changed? So from Zanetta's uh, data point of view, is there any way you can sort of give me a ballpark of, you know, Trans-Pacific, you know, how much were people paying per FEU in 2021 uh, annual contract-wise? And how much did it change for versus 2020? And do you have, I know it's early, but do you have any thoughts on where uh, sort of the, the Trans-Pacific annual average contract rate will be this year? Yeah, and I think I want to connect this to the article that you, you pieced together, uh, Greg, on, 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 on the MERS numbers as well, because you, you speculated there whether we've, we've seen the, 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 the profits sort of uh, peaking. Um, and historically, they reported the lower numbers than, than, and, and had to adjust several times upwards, right? I, I want to give you an example that sort of builds onto your story there. First half of 2021, the approximate average long-term contract on, on Trans-Pacific is bound into, into the U.S. West Coast, sat at about $3,000, US right? Then as we went into October... That average has risen and gone up to about six, six and a half thousand US dollars. So the numbers we see reported from Merck, as you rightfully point out, they have more growth potential in them as you can go through an entire year with higher rate levels. Now, talking about 2022, we see seven, eight thousand US dollars as early indicators for the average. I do, however, want to flag that we see an unprecedented spread. And let me just give you an example. If I look at the lower end of the long-term market at, uh, as per today, you have contracts about $3,000, the average sitting about around 6500 as I mentioned. And then you have the spot market sitting at uh, around 10000 with with these priority shipment fees on top, right? So you have a market from 3000 to, let's say, 17000 18000 right? 
meaning it's very hard for each individual BCO or shipper to understand what, what is the right position for them in the, that market. Because if you go two years back, that same spread would be from like 1300 US dollars to 1800 US dollars, right? That, that gap is, is 10x bigger as per today. It's ridiculous numbers, which also means, one last thing, that the ones who's the most penalized and struggling the most in this current environment would be the small importers, right? And what does that mean? That means that the longer this uh, situation uh, goes on, the more favorable, even though painful, the more favorable it is for the big volume importers. Right. And I, I, uh, we're, we're running out of time here, but just one, I just sort of want to wrap it up. I mean, there's just so many things to talk about. Uh, but, you know, you know Zanetta, you know, you know, provides this service that, you know, gives more transparency to people that are making these kind of decisions. Uh, and there seems to have been, you know, I don't know if this is a permanent change, but a major change in how contracting has worked uh, and how uh, ocean uh, transport costs uh, are. Uh, and I don't know to what extent this is going to continue forever or what have you. But, you know, what advice do you have? You know, let's take, for example, U.S. importers, uh, you know, just to wrap it up. You know, what should they be thinking? Uh, should, you know, should they be should they have a contract now? Should they wait for the spot market to see what goes on with the spot market? Should they, I guess, basically, should they change their business model based on the fact that this is going to be different forever? Or uh, should they still consider this to be fleeting? So, so we're, currently in, we're currently in a situation where we've never seen anything like this. They're going into a tender season that doesn't look like anything we've seen historically. The recommendations we, we typically make is that you have to do business-specific adjustments, meaning it's not the same for all. Again, the example of high-value uh, cargo, high-margin cargo, they, they should focus on securing uh, uh, the, the, the access to boxes and, and, and uh, space on the vessels more than focusing on price. And they might choose to push their tenders earlier and wrap up as quickly as possible at an elevated level and live with that risk. Because what they need to understand is that when you move a market from here to a record high, signing in on long-term, meaning 12-month rate agreements, comes with a substantial risk that you might look at like a fool 12 to 24 months down the line. But if you made that decision fully knowing that this is the strategic decision we make for the business, then that's fine, right? It's, it's You're paying a premium to secure the stability and the supply in your chains, right? Now, if if that's not the case for you, right? If, if, if you're a different type of profile business, lower margin ones, for instance, make sure that you're in a position to move somewhat with the market as time goes, right? And back to what we talked about earlier, the market might still go up, but if the market goes down, you want to find yourself in a position where you can renegotiate your agreements. And, and whether you design that as a new RFQ or with the index regulated deals, it's up to you, right? But these are very different decisions. In fact, they're, they're completely the opposites of, of each other. And these are the conversations each individual BCO needs to have and evaluate, uh, just to, to mention a couple of points. Yeah, there's just so much going on right now, unprecedented times. Uh, Patrick, once, uh, thanks once again for speaking with us. This has been great. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Greg.